Hey, it's Christian, and we are inviting you to our first ever live podcast taping. That is this Sunday, June 12th, at the Big Machine Brewery on 3rd Avenue in Nashville at 12.30. So escape the heat of CMA Fest and join Cindy and me as we debut a song for my next release, In the Key of Summer. We talk about songwriting and answer some questions. I guarantee there'll probably be at least three dad jokes. (laughs) Come see us if you're at CMA Fest. I'm Christian Bush. And I'm Cindy Watts. Welcome to our podcast, 52. I turned 52 this year, believe it or not, and I am releasing 52 songs to celebrate. This podcast looks at the relationship between my 52 new songs and 52 of my most popular songs from my back catalog with plenty of stories and laughs along the way. Cindy Watts, it's so good to see you. We're back. We're back. Are you ready? I have a dad joke for you. Of course. Because I would not start this without that. Of course. Let me have it. Where do dads keep their dad jokes? I have no clue. Where do dads keep their dad jokes? In the database. Oh, good Lord. (laughs) (laughs) Come on. That was a good one. I've been waiting and waiting for weeks to just roll that one out. In my brain, I'm like, how do you spell database? D-A-D-A-B-A-S-E. Of course. Of course. <laughs> That's so funny. All right. Uh, today's pairing, um, because we're, we were starting with the ones you wanted to start with this time. Yay. Um, is uh, two songs here, obviously. Um, one is Everybody Needs a Somebody from the album 52. And I have paired that with uh lean it on back from sugarland's bigger album yes and uh this is going to be a fun one i i feel like it's going to be a fun one i'd like to imagine in my mind well friend only you can fight forest fires (laughs) (laughs) oh lord (laughs) okay um so every everybody needs a somebody why do you love it why did you pick this one? I love it because I think it makes you think about who your somebody is and maybe it's not who you thought it was. Oh, I love that. That's your impression of it. Cause that's very close to the reality of where we were sitting when we were writing that song. Yeah, no, it's like, ab- absolutely. You know, every time I listen to it, I think about, you know, I think a lot of people would maybe hear that song and think about their spouse or their partner, but. I don't particularly think that really. Yeah. Well, what's interesting is uh, I wrote this song with Lindsay L and Ellis Paul, both artists and both very good writers. And and I I wrote it on the bigger tour. We were on the bus and it must've been the second half because Lindsay was on the tour because Jennifer got to pick the openers for the first half and I did the second half. So we had Frank, Frankie Ballard, and Lindsay out. And I was working on both of their records. I was producing both of their records at the time. And I was excited for Lindsay to meet Ellis and Ellis to meet Lindsay because Ellis is like one in a hundred thousand writers. Why is that? He's that good and has been that good since he was 18. And he's a year older than me, maybe. Oh my. 
and and he ex- existed mostly in the folk world, right? But he's the the top of it, and um, his control of lyric and emotion and all that stuff is just pretty unbelievably good. And and Lindsay and I have been working together for a while. I'd helped produce her first record, and I was helping her get the second one sort of focused. And during this process she and I also suffer from the same emotional self-worth issues where we kind of reach out to the world to tell us what that is rather than just walk around knowing solidly what it is in your body. And as a result, we, both of us have, have struggled with um, misidentifying who those people are that are your somebody. Oh, for sure. For like I just said, for sure. <laughs> <laughs> so, so what you're talking about when you're like for every person, there's a somebody and sort of, uh, it's, it's one thing to intellectualize that. It's another thing to go out and not just believe it, but walk through the to, world. Yeah. With it. Yeah. And, and Lindsay and I struggle with it all the time. It's one of the things I think we bond over, you know, like we, we both love music. We both love to play and record and write it. And, and we love the, the, the job of being an artist, but we are both, um, our Achilles is, is those people that we've choose to be our somebody's <laughs> has we we've, uh, it's always been sort of strange. And, um, so when we started writing this song, I love the idea, um, that the jumping off point was something of me saying like, well, you know, it really should be who you call at two o'clock in the afternoon, not who you call at two in the morning. <laughs> 200%. And it's just, a, it's just a cool place to start that conversation. Yeah, Because who you call at two o'clock in the afternoon, you'll probably still call at two o'clock in the afternoon a decade from now, but that 2am call will probably fluctuate. <laughs> You, know? you just shouldn't be doing it. It's just, that's just down to, <laughs> is, but, but is that we real do. life though? Exactly. But you know. we do. And, um, so this song is a reminder. It's what I like. And so the more I hear it and the, one of the reasons I included it on 52 is I heard it and I was like, Oh, I hear me sending myself a message. <laughs> sending the world a message. Yeah. yeah. So here, let's listen. Let's do it. This is everybody needs a somebody. get so many sides you only get so many footprints walking side by side some are gonna feel like fireworks some are gonna feel like rain some are gonna kill like medicine some will just dull the pain it's who you call at two o'clock in the afternoon not who your room Everybody needs a somebody Not just anybody A strong heart that'll live to love me for who I am and who I wanna be Everybody gotta fall to pieces Get back up before you believe it It'll all make sense when you see it So let it be, let it be, let it be. Yeah. Everybody needs a somebody 
my favorite. <laughs> yep. I love hearing Benji play all over that. He's playing electric guitar and he, we had just gotten the information on the, that maybe that bus ride or the one before it, that the management company had heard the very beginning recordings of dark water and had flipped out and had said, I know you're doing Sugarland right now, but what you need to do is this jam band. And I was beside myself because I was like, oh, come on, guys. Really? Like, this is you guys have been waiting forever for Sugarland to come back. Now we're back. And <laughs> and you want me to do something else? And they were like, but it's so good. But that's um, a couple of weeks later, we tracked this. De- this what was we thought was a demo. Right. And Benji came in and played guitar all over it. And you can hear it. It's yeah. if you know anything about Dark Water or if you're a listener, um, th- it's it's defined like most rock bands by the guitar player and their style and his style is exactly what you just heard, which I think is kind of awesome. It is. So that's like the, uh, people are almost listening to the Genesis of dark water when they listen to everybody needs somebody. 
Yeah, I think you can hear parts of it. And it's it's sprinkled all over a lot of these songs because Brandon and Benji and I were recording all this stuff because I'd bring home the songs and say, hey, man, can we go in and demo these? But I was doing them all with these two men who I eventually just started a band with. So we had been developing maybe the sound of Darkwater for four years or five years because these guys had been in my solo band you know, my, when I was presenting my solo music, they were my guys. And, um, we had put in our 10,000 hours together is kind of what it feels like. And then suddenly we were like, Oh wait, what? That's why it felt like such an easy band to start. I think. Yeah. I mean, I, yeah, I with this song though, I thought that Lindsay was going to record it when I heard it. Like when I heard the demo back, I was like, oh, she's not going to be able to resist playing guitar all over this. And then the Ellis had reached out and said, man, what was that song? I really grew. That was a groovy song. And I was like, I don't think he would be able to pull this one off or maybe he would it was just doing it his own way. But typically I, I at no point did I think this is a song for me. Well. I'm happy it was in my head. I'm having these, I'm like, I'm having this moment right now of what we can actually say and what we can't, because in my head, I'm like, Lindsay couldn't record that song right when she did it because of the place in her life she was in. Oh yeah. I mean, we can talk about all of it. It's just, I I try to use my boundaries in especially podcast life because people can come back and listen to this whenever Mm -hmm. that I want to respect my kids. And maybe some private information of people that it's their choice to share it. But um, I think what's what's great about a song like this for me is that, like many songs, it, you're processing things way ahead of when you get to them in real life. They're easier to talk about in songs or to go work out thoughts, right? When you're when you're using the hypothetical quotes of no, this is not about me. It's just a song. <laughs> right. And is that then ever true six, six months, 10 months, a year or two later, you can look back on that and be like, Oh, I knew that in my heart or I knew it in my head. And I, my, my life just hadn't caught up to it. That's pretty common. A lot more common in my life, maybe than I admit, but I'm getting better at admitting it. Cause I think it helps people understand for sure. You know, like when you hear me sing these things, I, I sound very wise, but I'm still a dumbass <laughs> in my own life. It's like, I, I don't know. I Then I walk across and I walk through a lot of these doors that, you know, we drew into songs and put, you know, hinges and handles on <laughs> just never really physically opened them and walked through them. So, you know, it happens in a lot of ways. It's not just one thing, like I'm, Lindsay was definitely in a place in her life where this song was probably a good signpost for her right. to remember, right. hey man, don't forget this about you. You know, you deserve the best. And um, I know Ellis has been struggling with his personal life forever, forever. And uh, And me, I get it right until I get it wrong and then I get it right and then I get it wrong. It's just a never ending revolving door of learning how to be better at it and better with my heart. And most of it stems from being better about myself. Like my inner dialogue about me needs to improve. (laughs) 
so to where I, I like myself. It's it's funny. I was thinking about connecting this song with its pair, mm-hmm. and there it's it, it's kind of the similar conversation, but in a more tangible way. Um, we were out on the bigger tour, and for that album, I had a really big challenge that. Uh, my body and my brain had to address, which was Jennifer and I hadn't written songs in years and didn't really know each other anymore. Um, but knew who that creative partner was because we had been so deeply connected for so many years. Right. And it was, how do we start back up and succeed? And we have to do it alone without co-writers. Right. How do we do that? And what the answer was for me was to get really good at production, like in the box production, which that's a term for um, using a computer. Right. So I was learning how to program beats and program bass lines and these kind of strange patterns and things that are very ubiquitous part of modern music. But typically in the Sugarland world, I would make something and she and I would then write it out or finish it. And then we would bring it to these incredible musicians in Nashville and say, guys, can you make this sound better than what we have? <laughs> but use it as your guidepost. You know, we wanted it to feel this way. Because no one was making demos of our songs for us the way they do in the in Nashville, you know, like right. a lot of times you'll get a demo and then the artist will be like, Ooh, I want to cut that. And then what they're cutting sounds a lot like the demo, but with them singing, you know, um, in this case, there was nothing. So I was learning how to program and <laughs> we went in to do bigger when we went in to record it, we recorded it in like three days. I remember you telling me that it was insane. And it was very dependent on whatever was already recorded. And I had, pre-made the record the weekend before without telling anybody with Brandon and Benji in Atlanta with just like stuff I'd rec- had Jennifer sing into my phone and stuff, you know, like yeah. I just constructed it cause I didn't want to walk in and look like an idiot because I was co-producing the record at the same time I was the artist. And it's very difficult sometimes to be both people. I think it's almost always very difficult to be both people. I mean, most of the time it's almost in my opinion, impossible to be both people because everybody needs an editor and self-editing yeah. is really hard. Yeah. And so, so my, my big idea was <laughs> your big idea was I was going to self-edit the weekend before and make all those decisions so that I could just be the artist in the room. And what it did is it created this accidental, like, uh, wonderful boost to my, um, ego, which was, (laughs) I showed up with these computer tracks and when I would play it for the guys in the room and these were unbelievable players, um, you know, convened to do the first Sugarland record in eight years or something. And, uh, they were like, well, why are we playing this again? Why don't we just use your tracks? And I was like, oh man, let's, let's, let's not use my tracks. Cause I'm, amateur guy and they were like no 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 man that that sounds great i mean if it sounds right it's right which is what you got to trust these players when they when they tell you this 
so we flew in a bunch of my stuff and this song lean it on back um actually i have the original version of it that i did in the hotel room oh we should listen to and that. then i'll then i'll play the whole song yeah but this is uh and the reason i connect these songs is I was pretty high on myself as a programmer at this point. <laughs> so by the time we're out on tour, I'm like, oh yeah, man, I got this. I'm like a, you know, and I don't, but I just, I thought I did. And, um, so everybody needs to somebody, all those tracks are me. You know, I, at some point I, I, I finally wisened up and said, Brandon, will you please put cooler keyboard tracks on this than me? He's like, I got you. I got you. And then Benji came in and, you know, sprinkled his fairy dust. But on here, here's here's me in a hotel room in New York doing Lean It On Back. And Jennifer and I wrote a lot of these songs in a, in a like a Broadway rehearsal room. It was like five feet by five feet with a card table in it. And in the Pearl Building, you know, it was very odd. But it's where she wanted to write. So that's where yeah. we wrote. And at whatever we can kind of write anywhere, the two of us. But, um, so I would go and, and build all this on a little laptop and a very small microphone in those rooms or in the hotel room. So here's the, here's the hotel room version of lean it on back for a second. Almost at the bottom and we're wondering what come next We ain't getting any younger but we still got the hunger And it's scaring us both to death How about we do it the way we did When we were just kids and we didn't know what we had It's going by fast, gotta slow down Just to get up, need to live a little more like that Lean it on back Watch the sun go down Watch it come back around Lean it on I mean, it's all there. What'd you say? So it's, it's there. Oh, know? yeah. Yeah, it's there. It's me doing like a bazillion background vocals. You can, And you can kind of tell that I'm doing the guitars in the bathroom of the hotel. <laughs> and you, you can kind of convince yourself at some point, if you're me, that when they recorded it, they just didn't change that much. Here's the here's the actual recording. You and me in a battle and we're almost at the bottom and we're wondering what comes next. We ain't getting any younger, but we still got the hunger and the scare and the spoil the death. How about we do it the way we did when we were just kids and we didn't know what we had. It's going by fast, got our slow down just to get up. Too late in your granddad's old recliner, 
yourself another reminder of the times before Cause anymore, they don't make them like that Lean it on So I dare you to listen to that song and not dance in your chair. <laughs> it is a groove machine, isn't it? It, it totally is. That drummer, uh, Victor, had just played the Lizzo record <laughs> right before he played this one. And it was great because he was trying to, he was playing on top of my drum beats and he just is so incredible that he emulates a drum machine when he does it, that those fills like do, 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 do. <laughs> And then when he told me, I was like, well, what was your last project? And, you know, they're usually shifty about telling you what they've worked on. They're, <laughs> they're like, shifty they're drummers. They're shady. You know, they're like, I don't want to tell you, man. I don't want to tell you. Because, you, you know. And he was like, yeah, well, I just worked on this Lizzo record. It was pretty cool. And that's the one that blew up, right? He started to say, did you know who Lizzo was when he said that? Oh, yeah, I did. Yeah. But uh, that it's just crazy how fun this is when you get musicians of those calibers working on these records. It's also pretty cool when your podcast host is apparently a crack in the box programmer. <laughs> <laughs> well, I got to say, um, the more I go into uh, co-writes and productions with people who are real programmers, the more I just I pull back out my Weeblos badge and <laughs> put myself back in Cub Scouts. I mean, like, uh, nope, not yet, buddy. But at the time, I was thinking I was pretty much the jam. It worked. <laughs> it, it did. It, it worked. And um, and it only has to work enough for songs. You know, if you can make your if it made your head move, if it made you dance in your seat, then you did your job. Yeah. 
You don't have to really, it's one of those weird lessons. I think you don't have to be the best at what you do to have value. 200%. You know, you, all you have to do is show up, show up. Yeah. Yeah. Cause I mean, geez, if we were all great at what, if we were the best at what we did, there'd just be a bunch of experts running around like we were knew everything. And nobody wants that. No, I have a teenage son. I don't want another know-it-all. Right. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's good to see you again, Cindy. You too. Here we go. See you next week. Bye. Hey, everybody. Christian Bush here. Cindy Watts. And we would like to thank you for joining us for another episode of 52. If you'd like to write us with questions or comments, you can contact us at 52thepodcast at gmail.com. That is the number 52. Also, remember, the best way to help us is to give us a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts. Please and thank you. You can follow me at Christian Bush on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. And you can follow Cindy at Cindy Watts on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook as well. Thank you for listening, and please join us next week.